0: Dedication and Leadership The origin and evolution of this book need to be understood if its purpose is not to be misunderstood. It began as an attempt to answer from my own experience the question which is so often asked. Why are communists so dedicated and successful as leaders, whilst others so often are not? I was asked to try to answer this in a series of lectures given as a leadership training seminar at the annual convention of the Missionary Secretariat in Washington, D.C. Present were hundreds of religious and lay leaders who had come from almost every part of the world, but particularly from Asia, Africa, and Latin America. The sponsors urged me to talk as freely as I wished since the purpose was to examine where Catholics were weak, and by contrast where the Communists were strong. I took them at their word and pulled no punches. This explains why, throughout this book, in which I have retained the form of the spoken rather than the written word, I stress Communist successes and Catholic weaknesses. The original seminar was in due course adopted to the needs of other organizations, religious and non-religious. It is my hope that in this present form, dedication and leadership may have something new to offer the politician, the man who is interested in the psychology of communism, and in particular, the man who believes that there is an urgent need for leadership at every level in the non communist world. For, above all, this book is intended as a challenge. Douglas Hyde. Dedication and Leadership Chapter One. The Starting Point. There are two points it is necessary to make right at the start so that we may have the aim and purpose of this study clear firstly the subject is dedication and leadership not anti-communism second we shall in the main be discussing those communist leadership training methods which are capable of imitating or adaptation by christians and others or conversely which may spark off some useful and constructive thought about our own methods If in the process we arrive at a better understanding of the motivation and formation of the communist cadres, then so much the better. Indeed, I hope that this may be a useful byproduct of this discussion. But its main purpose is to see what we can learn from the communists' attitudes, methods, and techniques. We shall be looking at the communists, not in order to attack, not to prove them wrong, but rather to see what they have to teach us. So when I describe communist methods, I shall not select those which have nothing for us. Quite obviously, I shall not be recommending those which, for moral or ethical reasons, we must abhor. Although even here, we may in fact find that some of these still merit examination, even if only because of the single-minded approach the communists bring to them. This will be a highly selective look at the communists and communism. Even the examples I quote will be the best I have seen after years of living with communists and observing communism in almost every part of the world. When I left communism after twenty years in the party, I knew its evils, but I also believed that the communists were right in some important respects. For example, when they said that there is a great battle going on all over the world, which in the final analysis is a struggle for men's hearts, minds, and souls. We can accept this even if we do not take the view that all the goodies are on one side and all the baddies are on the other there is plenty of evidence that the thought of millions today is in a state of flux people everywhere are breaking away from age-old alliances beliefs and ways of life and it is much too early yet to say where the process will finish i believe that they are right too when they say that Although we may not see the end of the battle, its outcome will most probably be decided in this period in which we are living. In short, this is a turning point in man's history, a terrible yet tremendous time in which to live. This has, of course, been said before by other generations. In the past, however, when men talked of the fate of the whole world and all mankind being at stake, they could mean only a small part of the surface of the globe, the one in which lived only a minority of the human race when we talk of a worldwide battle today we mean one which involves men in every country everywhere when therefore the communists speak of launching the world on the way to communism in the period in which we are living it is this that they mean not the whole world with the exception of the united states or the united kingdom or whichever country being your own you may feel as proof against assault their aim is quite clear they have never concealed it and it is something that is immensely meaningful to every communist it is a communist world in the past half century they have achieved one third of that aim on any reckoning that is a remarkable achievement probably an unprecedented one Nonetheless, the world in which we live is still predominantly non-communist, twice as many people live in the non-communist world as live under communism. There is no basis here for defeatism. Even so, it is probably true to say of the communists that never in man's history has a small group of people set out to win a world and achieved more in less time. Certainly they have brought far more people under their sway by the methods they employ, than anyone else has done during the same period. Moreover, they have always worked through a minority. This is true of those territories which they now rule, and also of those where they have not yet come to power. This is, however, less exceptional than would appear. In practice, most organizations and causes work through minorities. Even those who believe most deeply in the majority rule still depend upon the faithful few to do the work to make the necessary sacrifices in time, energy, and devotion to keep the movement going. The communists have learned from experience, and as a result, both of pooling their ideas and of learning from the success and failures of their movement everywhere, how best they can make the maximum impact upon others, even though they must work through a minority. Many of the methods they have evolved have grown out of this realization. It is these That i consider it most useful for us to examine the communist party throughout the world has 36 million members of these a very high proportion live in lands ruled by communism there quite consciously and deliberately the party is kept small so that it may retain the character of an elite only a few million live and work in the non-communist world Yet the impact they make upon it is such that we are conscious of their presence the whole of the time. They have profoundly influenced the thought of the majority. The policies of other parties are notably different from what they would otherwise have been because the communists exist. Communists are a very small minority in comparison with some of the other groups who are also contending for men's hearts and minds. There are, for example, 400 million Muslims and more than 500 million Catholics, the majority of whom live outside the communist countries. These other great world movements have immensely larger human resources at their disposal than have the combined communist parties. Yet no one could claim that in the period in which communism has been in our midst they have had anything like its success. I'm not, of course, talking of their ability to seize power by force of arms or by subterfuge, but of their ability to fire the imagination, create a sense of dedication, and send their followers into effective, meaningful action. It is almost impossible to read a newspaper or to listen to the news on radio or television without learning of something which the communists are doing. They never let us forget them. This is not just an accident. There are reasons for it, and these are worth examining. I do not believe that the strength of communism lies in the strength of the ideas. I believe, as any Christian must, that Christianity has something infinitely better to offer than has communism. To put it in the rather degraded terminology of our times, we have something immensely better to sell. Yet it is they who have been able to influence our generation much more profoundly than have we. Beliefs are important to communists. Communist policies grow out of them. Reading Marx, Engels, Lenin may not be easy, but it is necessary to an understanding of communists and communism. But it is not this that attracts people to the communist cause. In my experience, the strength of communism lies in its people and the way in which they are used. It is at this level that communists have most to teach us, They use well the human material at their disposal. Most often, non-communists do not. Perhaps I should make it clear that when I speak of communists in these terms I do so against the background of having associated with communists in almost every part of the world, not just some special sort of British communists or Western communists who live in affluent societies a point which must be grasped in any discussion of world communism is that communists are or become much of a type the world over they have certain things in common which distinguish them everywhere for 20 years i was a member of the british communist party i joined when i was 17 years of age i spent all of my late adolescence and early manhood in the party by the time i left it almost every friend i had in the world was a communist communism had been my life, and I could claim to know communists, or at any rate the communists of Britain, very well. Normally the ex-communist, particularly one who had come out publicly and so is dubbed as a renegade, is cut off from his old comrades and from the movement with which he has been associated. It happens that since I left the party, a steady stream of communists has been in touch with me, with the exception of the first few months of my resignation from the party, And its daily newspaper of which i was news editor there has been no period when i was not in touch with some at least of the party's members i did not in the first instance seek them out they had heard what i said in public lectures or they had read what i had written about them in books and articles they recognized that i was trying to give a faithful picture of them as they really were And so, when they were in any difficulty or begin to feel any doubt about their communism, some of them turned to me, believing that I would understand. The result has been a living dialogue, which has continued over the years. As a commentator on world affairs, I have traveled in almost every area of the world. Wherever I have gone, I have continued to keep in touch with communists and communism. Since 1957, I have spent several months of each year living in prison cells with Asian communist leaders who were serving prison sentences after having led jungle wars or insurrections, or who were detainees in lands where communism was banned and the party an illegal, clandestine organization. What I have to say, therefore, about the communists' use of people relates to members of many different races in many different parts of the world. Again, in order to get the picture clear, it must be noted that the human material in which they work is not something different from that which is at the disposal of others. The majority of communists are first generation. This means that others, frequently Christians and Christian missionaries, had them in their hands long before they went to the communist party. One can and must, for honesty's sake, be more specific. Often these people are identical with those who are available to Christians to instruct and use in the sense that a disturbingly high proportion of them, particularly those who form the hard core of the Communist Party, were once Catholics. In other words, the Communists train and use successfully people with whom Christians had failed. I am not just theorizing. Any analysis of the origins of the leadership of the Communist Party of, say, Britain, USA, Australia, or for that matter, South India, will provide ample evidence of the Communist ability to attract to their ranks lapsed and fallen away Catholics. I make this point, which may seem a brutal one, for two reasons. First, it is necessary to appreciate That there is no basis for the belief that communists have some special sort of human material on which to work the people with whom they frequently have great successes are our own failures secondly we must in humility accept that amongst the christians the catholics in particular who go to the communists are many who find in communism what they had hoped without success to find among the christians The onus is therefore on us to find the answer to this problem if we recognize that the communists are not some different brand of human beings from those who make up other comparable movements we must then turn to their methods and see what part these play in assisting the communist party to develop its members potentialities for dedication and leadership the christian who is trying to train and produce leaders may object that Christians are concerned with the supernatural and must operate at that level, whereas communists are concerned only with the natural, the material. I would, submit, I would submit that this is not a reason for ignoring the natural or material. It is theologically sound to say that the supernatural is built on the natural. And considering the communist methods, we shall be dealing with the question at the natural level which is precisely where the Christian tends often to be at his weakest. It is here that we have most to learn. Willingness to sacrifice. If you ask me what is the distinguishing mark of the communist, what it is that communists most outstandingly have in common, I would not say, as some people might expect, their ability to hate this is by no means common to them all i would say that beyond any shadow of a doubt it is their idealism their zeal dedication devotion to their cause and willingness to sacrifice this characterizes the communists wherever communism has still to come to power and is obviously true of many in the very different circumstances where it now rules The vast majority of the communists I have met anywhere conform to this pattern. It is no accident. It does not just happen. The communists have evolved their own means by which they are able to evoke an exceptional degree of dedication, and they use it very effectively indeed. To understand how it is done, one must follow through the process step by step from the start. The majority of those who join the Communist Party are young. The average joining age used to be between 17 and 25. Today it is between 15 and 25. For some years now they have been recruiting successfully among 15 to 17 year olds. The British Communist Party recently organized a recruiting campaign which brought in several thousand new members. When, in due course, the general secretary made his report to the executive committee, he said that most of those who joined during the period of the campaign were between the ages of 15 and 19. A majority of the Asian communists, with whom I have shared prison cells, joined the movement when they were at school. Go to Caracas, Venezuela, and you will find that some of the communists' greatest successes are amongst high school and secondary school boys and girls. Some of the guerrilla bands in the mountains of Venezuela are manned almost exclusively by youngsters of this age who have left their homes and their studies in order to be able to start the armed fight for communism. The first sign of communism which missionaries in Africa have discovered has often been when strikes occur in their own mission schools. In other words, the successful appeal to the very young is not a British phenomenon. One finds it everywhere. Youth is a period of idealism. The communists attract young people by appealing directly to that idealism. Too often, others have failed either to appeal to it or to use it, and they are the losers as a consequence. We have no cause to complain if, having neglected the idealism of youth, we see others come along, take it, use it, and harness it to their cause and against our own it is fashionable in some circles today to sneer at starry-eyed idealism of all the ways of helping communism i can think of none better than this that sort of cynicism has driven many eager earnest intelligent and potentially good youngsters to believe that the west has nothing to offer the young idealist but cynicism and that this is an expression of the decadence of our way of life. It has led them to believe that if you are interested in improving man's lot on earth, if you want to change the world, and the boy who does not want to do this at some point during his adolescence will certainly make a cynical old materialist later on, it is to the communists, not to the Christians, you must turn Wherever I have traveled, I have found that young people are idealistic. This is natural to any healthy youngster. I can only conclude that it is the way God wants them to be. We offend against charity and justice, and against common sense too. When we sneer at starry-eyed idealism, we do it to our own loss. Young people have always dreamed of better worlds, and we must hope that they always will. The day we lose our dreams, all progress will cease. Idealistic young people will want to change the world and will pursue their own idealistic course in any case. If their idealism is not appealed to and canalized within the circles in which they have grown up, they will seek elsewhere for an outlet. Look to the moral imagination, ladies and gentlemen. The Communists have demonstrated that the idealism of youth is something which can be harnessed and used with tremendous effect. It is a dynamic thing. Despite all the twists and turns of Communist policy, it continues over the years to provide the dynamism of the Communist movement. Older Christians, believing that you cannot build perfect worlds and perfect societies from fallen men, too often take up what is at best a superciliously tolerant approach to youthful idealism, when they do not ignore it altogether. The communists take it and use it. Communism becomes the dominant thing in the life of the communist. It is something to which he gives himself completely. Quite obviously it meets a need. Fills a vacuum at the time when he is first attracted to it. More significant is that it normally continues to be the dominant force in the life of the communist for as long as he remains in the movement. The communists' appeal to idealism is direct and audacious. They say that if you make mean little demands upon people, you will get mean little responses, which is all you deserve. But if you make big demands on them, you will get. Heroic responses. They prove in practice that this is so, over and over again. They work on the assumption that if you call for big sacrifices, people will respond to this, and, moreover, the relatively smaller sacrifices will come quite naturally. When I first went to work on the British Communist Party's daily paper, I was proud that I had been chosen for the work, proud to make whatever sacrifice was asked of me but I was nonetheless conscious of the fact that I had willingly accepted a ludicrously small wage. I will admit that I felt slightly virtuous about this until I met other members of the staff. Most of them were older than I was at that time. They had gone further in their careers, and some had gone very far indeed, and had had to make far bigger sacrifices than I. Some of them were earning one-tenth of what had been their salary when they had worked for the capitalist press there were times when small as our salaries were these could not be paid at all even when the paper became slightly more prosperous and the staff were technically given the union rate for the job the sacrifices still continued we got our pay packets opened them and immediately gave eight fourteenths of their contents to the party and the paper before it burned our fingers since everyone did this it became something of a meaningless ritual after a while and so we did not even bother even to receive the cash it just went directly to the cause and so it continues to this day among the party's leaders are many very able men some of whom could command very high salaries if they were in industry or commerce Instead, they accept the wage of a modestly paid, skilled artisan. This is not some peculiarity of the British Communist Party. The same is true of others. The French Communist Party, for example, was confronted with a financial crisis as a consequence of General de Gaulle's coming to power. Overnight, the party lost almost the whole of its large parliamentary group. They, like Communist members of Parliament in Britain, when there were any e, and elsewhere, had received their salaries from the state in the usual way, and then, as is also the usual way with Communist MPs, passed them directly to the party, who in return paid them an artisan's wage. The sudden loss of so many deputies and their salaries led to the closing down of many a Communist Party local headquarters. On the other side of the world, in Kuching, Sarwa, Borneo, recently a security chief mentioned to me almost with awe the case of a young man had gone to join the underground communist organization he came of a well-to-do chinese family his father had had no idea that he was in any way associated with the communists until one day he disappeared in due course the father learned that his son had gone to work as a rubber tapper for a few cents a day in a mixed area that is to say it was one in which poor rural chinese and dyaks lived in close proximity to each other even though they hardly ever mixed. Above all else, Sarawak's communist organization, which is exclusively Chinese, wants to gain a following among the indigenous people. Its leaders had called for volunteers to go and live among the Dayaks in their longhouses. The Chinese find the Dayaks' food unpalatable and practically uneatable. The lack of sanitation and regard for personal hygiene appalls the Chinese, Most of the volunteers soon go down sick, but there are others who come forward to take their places as this boy had done. Such sacrifices, whether at the level of leaders or of rank and file, are impressive, and they do impress those who associate with the movement. Particularly impressive is the fact that sacrifice is found at all levels of the organization youngsters of every continent have responded to this example of idealism expressing itself in terms of sacrifice this is true of the newly developed areas it is also true of the decadent west indeed the more materialistic our society becomes the more the dedicated man stands out by way of contrast the dedicated man makes his own appeal simply by virtue of the fact that he is dedicated like attracts like those who are attracted by the dedication they see within the movement will themselves be possessed of a latent idealism a capacity for dedication thus dedication perpetuates itself it sets the tone and pace of the movement as a whole this being so the movement can make big demands upon its followers knowing that the response will come if the majority of members of an organization are half-hearted and largely inactive, then it is not surprising if others who join it soon conform to the general pattern. If the organization makes relatively few demands upon its members, and if they quite obviously feel under no obligation to give a very great deal to it, then those who join may be forgiven for supposing that this is the norm and that this is what membership entails. If, on the other hand, the majority of members from the leaders down Are characterized by their single-minded devotion to the cause if it is quite clear that the majority are giving until it hurts putting their time money thought and if necessary life itself at its disposal then those who consider joining will assume that this is what will be expected of them if they nonetheless make the decision to join they will come already conditioned to sacrifice till it hurts It is ludicrous to suppose that half-hearted christians can conduct a fruitful dialogue with fully dedicated communists perhaps it is this which underlies the fear of any such dialogue felt by some christians they take it for granted that in any such dialogue the communists must come out on top that the marxists will be the gainers the christians the losers i would suggest That if this happens, it will have less to do with communist duplicity than with communist dedication, although the Christian in such circumstances must be prepared for the duplicity too. The well instructed, fully committed, totally dedicated Christian has little to fear. But dedication must be met with dedication. Ideally, it should be backed by a genuine understanding of one's own beliefs. And of the other man's, too. This must be the starting point for any dialogue with the communists. Among ex communists I have met have been some who, having given their all to communism, became in time disillusioned or saw the flaws in its thinking, and then, having left it, found some other cause to which they could dedicate themselves. They have sometimes been able to help this process. There are others, however who lose their communism but find nothing else to replace it they are frequently rather pathetic figures they remind me of a squeezed out lemon everything has gone except traces of the old acid they are left with nothing but disillusionment which may easily turn to cynicism or even as they get on with living life as so many others live it without any deeply held beliefs of any sort They look back wistfully from time to time to the days when they had something to live by and for. I was talking to such a man on one occasion. Our conversation brought back very vividly to my own mind the extent of the dedication which had been common in the party in the days when we were both communists together. Often ex-communists meeting together can talk of the old days when we were in the party, rather like old soldiers discussing nostalgically the campaigns they shared in the past. We had been doing this. We had talked of old comrades, who now saw themselves as our enemies, of the campaigns in which we had engaged together. Then, very wistfully, he said, Do you remember what life was really like in the party? You got up in the morning, and as you shaved, you were thinking of the jobs you would do for communism that day. You went down to breakfast and read The Daily Worker to get the party line, to get the shot and shell for a fight in which you were already involved. You read every item in the paper, wondering how you might be able to use it for the cause. I had never been interested in sport, but I read the sports pages in order to be able to discuss sport with others and to be able to say to them, Have you read this in the Daily Worker? I would follow this through by giving them the paper in the hope that they might turn from the sports pages and read the political ones too. On the bus or train on my way to work, I read the Daily Worker as ostentatiously as I could, holding it up so that others might read the headlines and perhaps be influenced by them. I took two copies of the paper with me. The second one I left on the seat in the hope that someone would pick it up and read it. When I got to work, I kept the daily worker circulating. One worker after another would take it outside, read it for a few minutes, and bring it back to me again. At lunchtime, in the canteen or the restaurant, I would try to start conversations with those with whom I was eating. I made a practice of sitting with different groups in order to spread my influence as widely as I could. I did not thrust communism down their throats, but steered our conversations in such a way That they could be brought round to politics or if possible to the campaigns which the party was conducting at the time before i left my place of work at night there was a quick meeting at the factory group or cell there we discussed in a few minutes the successes and failures of the day and we discussed too what we hoped to be able to do in the following day I dashed home, had a quick meal, and then went out. Maybe to attend classes, maybe to be a tutor, maybe to join some communist campaign. Going from door to door to door to door to door to door, door, canvassing or standing at the side of the road selling communist papers, doing something for communism. And I went home at night and dreamed of the jobs I was going to do for communism the next day rather sadly he added you know life had some real meaning and some purpose in those days life was good in the communist party he was right of course it was it is quite wrong to suppose that it is only the saints who are not sad sinners can get quite a lot of fun out of life too and those who are dedicated get immensely more out of life than those who make excuses for not being dedicated the day he had described had been my life and that of most of my old comrades it was a day in the life of a dedicated man a normal day in the life of a hardcore communist party member it is not surprising that he looked back at that life from the wasteland of his present purposeless existence with a considerable degree of nostalgia. Perhaps I should add in passing that this was not some unthinking, uneducated man who had lived simply on his emotions and on action. He was a highly intelligent Oxford University graduate, the very practical and down-to-earth product of a well-known political family. I make this point in order to reiterate and to emphasize as strongly as I can that it is quite erroneous to suppose that communism appeals only to some particular type of class or race. Within the Communist Party, you will find people of every type and class, and within the World Communist Movement, you will find people of every race. Discuss their case histories with them, probe into what first attracted them to communism, and invariably you will find that it was not communist theories, policies, or campaigns important as they may be in the making of communists but the impact made upon them by dedicated communists which predisposed and conditioned them to associate with a movement and to accept a doctrine which would otherwise most probably have been unacceptable to them let me illustrate my point from my own experience in asian jails during the course of one particular year I was in prison with six communist leaders of three different races. One came from a feudal, aristocratic background and had at one time been a university lecturer. The next was a teacher, the third had been in charge of a plantation, with a couple of hundred workers employed under him. The fourth, who came from a very poor background, had been in government service. The last two were young scientists, both of whom were from business families six asian communist leaders from three different races and from almost as many classes as exist in their country as people they were of widely different types not one by any stretch of ingenuity could put them into a single category except of course that all had become communists Each had responded to the communist appeal, and in every case it was associated with the communists as people, not a prior study of communist theory, which had prompted them. Each, too, had been prepared to risk their liberty and his career for the cause. The risk was real. I met them all in prison. There is no mystery about the indisputable fact that communists exert an an influence out of all proportion to their numbers once one grasps the point that practically every party member is a dedicated man in whose life from the time he rises in the morning till the time he goes to bed at night for 365 days of the year communism is the dominant force they are helped immensely by bad social and economic conditions by racial and social injustice by all the imperfections of our modern society political situations often play straight into their hands so too if we are going to be honest do the communists opponents what distinguishes the communist movement from most others and makes it possible for so small a minority to make so great an impact upon our time is the dedication of the average individual member and the immense and dynamic force this represents when all those individuals collectively make their contribution to the cause without that, they would not be prepared to accept the organization, the discipline, the unending Marxist education, the incessant appeals, for more action. All these contribute to the communist impact, but the starting point is dedication. The communists themselves fully appreciate this, any communist tutor conducting a course in leadership, would insist right at the start that the very foundation and starting point must be dedication. This is something for others who are concerned with producing leaders to appreciate too. It is, of course, quite possible to produce leaders of some sort by teaching certain techniques. These are not the sort of leaders the communists are interested in, nor, I suggest, are they the ones the Christian cause requires most today. You can learn certain techniques and so become a leader who leads for himself. If by leadership you simply mean getting to the top, whether it be of an organization, a business, a profession, or the political system. But the first requirement, if you're going to produce a leader for a cause, is that he should be dedicated. Is there anything you would like to
1: say? It's taking me back. It's a perfect mister, mister, mixture mm-hmm. of my Catholic upbringing and when we were doing dedication and leadership. So it's the two experiences coming full mm-hmm. force to me at once whenever I read this.
0: I gave this to your, to, to your mom to read. Mm-hmm. And she read it and underlined all the parts where he talks about how great Catholicism is. <laughs> and then she was at ease, little knowing how dastardly we were Mm -hmm. and our apparent misdirection but when you actually read it when was that
1: it was when we did the small group
0: oh so did we read it in black ops
1: no it was after black ops i think it was the second small group that i was in
0: oh you were in small group on small groups
1: yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. thank you
0: i remember oran being there and i remember dan being there i remember richard being there and I don't remember. Jake
2: oh. and JJ.
1: Well, there were several other. Jake was there and yeah. Heather
0: was there. James was there.
1: There were several black ops okay. in small group on small groups.
0: Right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Dan has taught dedication and leadership. I'm here with Dan Heed and I'm here with Claire Mayo. And we're going to be discussing chapter one in dedication and leadership. Dan has led small group on small groups probably more times than I have. Probably. I think so. How many times have you, have you, have you led it by now?
2: About three.
0: About three. I think I've read it. I think I've done it about three, so I guess we're tied. And then Dylan has has run a small group on small groups. Jake Scarlett ran 75% of it. So we have some people that uh, have a wide range of experience on this book. And I was wondering, Dan, was there anything that really stood out to you in Chapter 1?
2: There was a lot that stood out to me in Chapter 1. I'm sure there was, Dan. Um, Why don't you tell me some of it? Well, um, I was uh, taken back like Claire was. The first time I read de- dedication leadership was when I was 29, and I was single and unattached. And mm. I can recall being challenged by the dedication required of the communists. I can recall thinking of the almost insane level of commitment, and I can recall the challenge that we got. And I've uh, led small group on small groups in basically every stage of my life, and. I was telling my wife that I haven't read Dedication and Leadership since just after Elizabeth was born. She was still probably under a year old. We were still in the apartment the last time I went through Dedication and Leadership.
3: That's a good point.
2: And so it's fascinating to read it 10 years later and see with a little bit of perspective, and this sounds incredibly arrogant, but there are some things that Douglas Hyde missed. There are some things he didn't grasp. And so I don't disagree with the book, and that's not where I'm going for. I'm not shooting this book in the head. What I'm saying is, okay, actually what he said was most of the people that come to communism come mm. at the age of 15 to 19, between 15 and 19 years of age. Mm. That was the demographic that you were shooting for with black ops. That's, mm. It tends to be one of the most valuable and fruitful stages in people's lives. There's a reason why the minimum requirement to attend a banquet of Ball is 17 years old. Mm-hmm. And so... I can remember being 29 and wanting to change the world. The first thing that I came across in Dedication Leadership Chapter 1 that really stood out to me, reading again, even now, he said communists want to change the world and they believe that they can. They believe that they can win. And you and I had a number of conversations. We talked about how I was raised to believe that the whole world was going to end, that Christians couldn't win, and it didn't matter if we if we won or not, even though we can't. It doesn't matter if we can win, but we can't. <laughs> and I I mentioned that I ran into this conversation with my wife's grandfather last summer. I, I mentioned the fact that, you know, we, we wanted to invest in the future and change the world, and we wanted to not give in to the communists and the Marxists. He summed up the evangelical position to a nicety. Well, we've only got 10 years or so before God comes back, before mm-hmm. Jesus comes back.
0: Yeah, and, and you know um, something that I noticed the very first time I went through Douglas Hyde is it never occurred to him to address that because mm-hmm. it's such an evangelical thing to say. Yeah, the Catholics don't say that.
2: Yeah, and he wrote this in '66, at the height of the '50s and '60s when the church was building, when the church was building church buildings that they didn't expect to last for ten years. Yeah, I, when I say the church. I'm narcissistically excluding the Catholics because the Catholics weren't doing that. They were still building cathedrals to the glory of God. Yeah, they were. Which still stand. Yep. So I'm going to throw evangelicalism under the bus a little bit Mm -hmm. because this is one thing that they consistently get wrong. Yeah. They teach their kids to just hold on until Jesus comes back. And as a result, I mean, the Babylon Bee posted an article which was brilliant. Christian kid praying fervently that Jesus doesn't come back until after his wedding night. (laughs) <laughs> because, well, Jesus is going to show up and he's going to ruin all the fun, so we just hold off a little bit until I get to experience sex. Yeah, Catholics don't teach that.
0: No, they don't, <laughs> to their credit.
2: Right, yeah. It, it,
0: it's one of several things I like about them.
2: And that was one thing that struck me in dedication and leadership. The communists grabbed onto the idealism of youth and they taught them that they could win.
0: Claire, in, in your experience as a Catholic, was winning something that was there. Because from the evangelical perspective, we have this lousy eschatology that ran rampant in, in the established denominations and in the non-denominational reactionary charismaniacs and the weird spectrum that exists between those polar opposites. We'll call them Baptists. Were you guys necessarily taught not to, like, taking over, was that a thing? Was was that a theme? You guys didn't have eschatology, so.
1: I don't know if the words used were taking over. It was much more so of a, we already won. Hmm. Not a, so let's sit around and wait for God to come back. It was, we already won. Just do what he tells you to do and be a good Catholic and spend your life serving Christ and doing what the Bible and his church tell you what to do. And you've already won. You just have to do your part.
0: So already won meant your salvation is secured or already won meant?
1: Meaning that Christ had already won, that Catholicism had already won. We were all already on the same team. Mm -hmm. And the poor people that didn't know any better were just doing their best. But we were all going to be in the same place at the end. The followers of Christ were.
0: Yes, yes. Yeah. Just, so there there wasn't necessarily a concern with, hey, let's stop abortion?
1: No, there was. It Catholics especially were the ones, you know, we were the ones at the abortion clinics protesting with signs and praying the rosary and standing with pamphlets asking, you know, people walking inside being like, hey, can I talk to you for a second? It wasn't so much to focus on winning cuz mm-hmm. like i said we'd already won. However, that being said, it was our job to bring all nations to Christ. And that was just a given. So
2: it was So
0: bringing those nations to Christ equals attending mass.
1: Among other things, yeah.
2: Okay. The Catholic Church especially, I mean in the 80s, the Catholic Church was one of the staunchest fighters against communism and yeah. when the iron curtain came down, it was attributed to the work of Ronald Reagan, Margaret Thatcher, and Pope John Paul II. And so the Catholic Church really understood actual social justice, and they were trying to enact God's kingdom. And they feel that the Pope is Christ's vicar on earth and that he is the literal king of earth. He's administering God's kingdom. And so they view it as, this is God's kingdom, and our job is to love mercy and to do rightly and to... Mm -hmm. You know, do going. our
1: job while we're here, yeah. but he's already won.
0: When the communists say that there is a great battle going on all over the world, which in the final analysis is a struggle for men's hearts, minds, and souls, we can accept this even if we do not take the view that all the goodies are on one side and the baddies are on the other. There is plenty of evidence that the thought of millions today is in a state of flux. People everywhere are breaking away from age-old allegiances, beliefs, and ways of life, and it is much too early yet to say where the process will finish.
1: And that's very, that's not a Catholic thing to say, because even though with my family specifically, I wasn't taught that I knew if someone was going to heaven or hell, or whether they were good or bad. We knew what we were taught about, you know, baptism, and baptism is what gets you into heaven, and there's several different kinds of baptisms, and blah, 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 but... Catholics super focused on, you know, the goats to his left and the sheep on the right. Mm-hmm. So there was a goody side and a baddie side.
0: When you first were exposed to this idea of working through a minority, so we have this tendency to measure our success by number of souls converted. And that tendency for me was rendered absurd when it was pointed out that the simple majority of Americans qualified themselves as Christian. Hmm. And that being the case, how is it possible that there are, and what is more, that out of that, a staggering majority of them qualified that as technically Protestant, evangelical if you like, which is like Baptists and things like that, independents. So we made up the majority and yet America was moving further and further into apostasy and the culture was moving further and further away from solid Judeo-Christian ethics and moving into debauchery by almost all measurables. And so? So that being the case, I was persuaded that there's more to it than Evangelism, it's not just about accepting him into your heart. There's more to this battle. Mm -hmm. When the uh, communists say that they want a communist world, even non-communists know that that means that they take over every single element of society from top to bottom. And when Christians say they want to convert the world, Everyone knows that they have no intention of changing society, because as soon as you say, well, that's not very nice, they fold like a house of cards. Nonetheless, the world in which we live is still predominantly non-communist. Twice as many people live in the non-communist world as live under communism. There is no basis here for defeatism. Even so, it is probably true to say of the communists that never in man's history has a small group of people sent out to win a world and achieve more in less time. Certainly, they have brought far more people under their sway by the methods they employ than anyone else has done during the same period. Moreover, they have always worked through a minority. This is true of those territories which they now rule and also of those where
2: they have not yet come to power. Thoughts? I remember the first time I heard that and being very convicted and slightly angry. I remember looking at Christian gains and over the same period that the communists conquered a third of the world, Mm. we, apart from possibly, you know, you could say, well, crusades, you could say uh, maybe some points, some very specific points in history, maybe, but never, never anything close to what what they were able to, Accomplished. So I I do remember feeling challenged and (laughs) sort of pugnacious about it. Like, come on, Douglas Hyde, I'll take you back.
0: (laughs) So this was when we.
2: Small group on small groups.
0: Small group on small groups. um, 2011. 2011? Wow. So in 2011, we ran small group on small groups. My back was broken, my soul was broken. Either I was newly married or I was about to get married. I was in an upstairs apartment on Knob Hill in Yakima. And I would like limp out to a chair and I'd curl up on it in excruciating pain. And then mostly people would talk and I didn't have to talk very much because a lot of people had a lot of things to say about dedication and leadership specifically. And one of them was introducing this idea right out of the gate that we don't have to go out there and convert every single person to Christianity and then create consensus with every single new convert. I mean, at what point do we get to change our community? Hmm. Because Christianity says we need to be sure we're consumable and we don't offend anybody. We need to be relevant. We need to be relevant by being irrelevant. It doesn't matter how many people have converted how many people believe this is the right thing to do. We must not, under any circumstances, impose... Our ethics, our will,
2: if you like. We can't others. legislate morality. Claire had a thought.
1: Well, I was going to say that was a concept that I never really thought about until I met you. Because I don't know. Jared. Yeah, Jared. No. Jared. I mean, Dan too. Yeah. But specifically Jared. Both, yeah. Because, I mean, I don't know if it's because it wasn't taught to me, but it at least didn't register. It wasn't something that stood out. Mm. I mean, because, you know, it was our job to make disciples of nations. Mm -hmm. What verbiage did you use? The
0: verbiage I used was, how would you know when a nation was a disciple?
1: So I think because Catholicism is already so controlling, Catholics easily take over. Like in Yakima, Mm -hmm. Catholics have... All the money. Catholics mm-hmm. have all the power. They're everywhere. The churches are everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I guess combined with the idea that, you know, we've already won, it wasn't really presented to me in a way of how many souls can you win? How many people can you win over? Let's change society. Let's, you know, let's get into politics. Let's, uh, that stuff, whether it was taught to me or not, I'm not saying it wasn't, mm-hmm. but that wasn't something that registered to me or that I heard often mm-hmm. because it was just, a given. Mm-hmm. So, that yeah, I just wanted to...
0: It was already a given. That was a new concept to Interesting. me
1: Interesting. when you yeah. started talking about that.
2: Claire said something that uh, jumped out to me in rereading Dedication and Leadership, which I thought was very, very important, and which is something that the communists missed. This is uh, This is 10 years on, an introspective look back at Dedication and Leadership, and now in a different stage of life, I can actually say... Douglas Hyde missed out on this. I don't know if he was married or not.
0: He was married and he had a child that I know of.
2: What I discovered in having two kids and one on the way is that life changes pretty significantly between one kid and between no kids and one kid and between one kid and three kids. Absolutely. And Claire said something that I thought was extremely powerful. The Catholics have all the money, the Catholics have the power, Mm -hmm. the Catholics are everywhere. Yeah. And. What the communists missed out on is continuity. Yes. And Douglas Hyde actually says this. He says, the vast majority of the age that they, get con- that they get converts to Catholicism are between 15 and 19. And the epiphany that I had is they can't make new communists. All they can do is convert.
1: Right. And the Catholics have all the children.
2: That's exactly where I'm <laughs> going with this. So Catholics actually understood that in order to have a dynasty that lasts hundreds and thousands of years, you have to have families. You have yeah. to push families hard. And communists don't. Mm-hmm. The birth rate in communist countries are actually forced because they, they fall be, be below a certain rule, and then it's suddenly like, okay, we need more kids. We need, and you actually see this in communist China, most specifically recently. They actually eliminated their one-child rule because they're, it's unsurprisingly, they're killing the country doing that. And now 20 years after they cut that rule off, they're still having a, anyway, I mean, I'm on a, a side note, but this is something the communists can't do. That they missed. Mm-hmm. Yes,
0: Well, you're you're touching on something that Karl Marx specifically hated, which was generational transfer. Yeah. So (laughs) like his his big uh, confiscation plan worked beautifully Mm -hmm. in every communist country. And I will go so far as to say this. Douglas Hyde wrote in more than just dedication and leadership. He also wrote a book called The Cross and the Red Star or something like that. The Cross and the Star or something like that. It was in reference to China. And how the Catholic Church tried to stand up to China and failed. Yeah. And they were expelled and they were slaughtered and they were destroyed and they were sent off to Hong Kong Mm -hmm. and so on. And he he writes about it. He co-writes the book with another man, a French priest actually. And one of the things that he says is that the Catholics capitulated Mm -hmm. and they were ill equipped to combat the rise of a new paganism which is
2: communism, communism
0: or marxism and that's where Douglas Hyde's observations really come in handy
2: so the i i agree with you and and that does help like i mean it even lists that he re- that he wrote probably i think 10 other books besides dedication leadership you can look at the front of the book it'll tell you yeah but to finish my thought along with generational th- transfer and i can see how Karl Marx hated that and how he was fighting against that. I get that. The point, however, is the Catholics have the money because they build with a 500-year plan, mm-hmm. and that and that requires infrastructure and planning and discipline, and it requires passing something on to your children. And this it flies in the face of evangelicalism, mm-hmm. because you yep, grew up did. in a church that was built to last 10 years. Yes. I was raised to hold on until Jesus came. Yeah. And I mean, so there's a lot of bad fruit that, and we've talked about that before, but my point is, the communists did not create, and I can say this now, with, you know, 10 years after I first read Douglas Hyde and 80 years after her, after he was a communist, they didn't create a lasting regime. They didn't create a, a lasting dynasty. So if you look at any communist country, no communist country has lasted 100 years. None.
1: Well, and that's what the, the book is about and I feel like what we're talking about is what works not necessarily what's right or wrong but you know picking and choosing from communism what actually works and that's why catholicism works that's one of the reasons they do so well is because they have so many babies and raise their families so closely and it's not just picking out people and converting them it's let's birth them
3: yeah
2: I do acknowledge that there are things here that the communists yeah. are doing right, but this is something that Douglas Hyde missed. Right. The the, the 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 communism model that that works so well does not work in the long term is my point.
1: Right.
0: Yeah, and I think he says this is not about whether communism is a good idea. He says, I just want to steal the stuff that's worth stealing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And he argues that He doesn't do it using theology, which is where I see people fall down. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go argue theology with a Catholic. It's like, Catholics don't know theology. (laughs) They know tradition, or they know ritual.
2: Anyway, that was something that jumped out to me in rereading, because he talks about dedication. And again, you can demand the dedication that is required of communists, of 15 and 19-year-olds. I was telling my wife this after Mm -hmm. I read the first chapter. After Black Ops, you had members of Black Ops saying, Jared, we will give you our firstborn child. Because <laughs> like, you had made the joke, eh, I'm just going to ask for your kidney and your firstborn child. And one of the members unfacetiously and seriously said, you I'm could ask for it. Yeah. And I was like, no. But that level of dedication is not sustainable when you have a family. That dedication to an o- outside cause. Well, actually,
0: I disagree. You can have a very unhealthy Level of dedication to something outside of your
2: family. Yes and no. I agree with you. You can do it. I I think
1: that's why you said sustainable, though.
2: I was listening to a podcast. A guy was reading Deliver Us From Evil, and he was talking about a pastor who was living on subsistent wages, and he was going into debt to work for the ministry. And I told my wife, he's violating a clear biblical principle of leaving leaving an inheritance for his children. And so, yes, you can do it. Is it sustainable? I I would argue that it isn't. And is it beneficial? I would argue very clearly that it is not. No, it's extremely Marxist. Right. You can sprint for 100 meters, you can do a marathon for I don't know what a marathon is. I think it's 13 miles, or you can walk for a lifetime. <laughs> and and it's
0: the no, no, this kind of brings something up. Is bad eschatology has similar effects as Marxism.
2: Yeah. So again, I'm not attacking Douglas Hyde, but this is a point that because mm-hmm. we're he, his, he's talking about dedication and leadership, and he does something brilliant where he says, "Ask big, make the big request," the which big request. flies in the face of evangelicalism. Not so much against Catholicism, because Catholicism is actually we're going to ask quite a lot of you. You have to yeah. attend mass every Sunday. You have to, um, I don't know all the requirements. You could, you could but there's a lot of them. <laughs> they ask big, and Pentecostalism, evangelicalism say just. Give your heart to Jesus. And in fact, you don't even have to do that. Just come to church. Come to a youth group. Come to a gathering. We're going to make
0: this so easy. It's almost boring.
2: Yeah. And I wish that there were I wish that there were pastors who said, eh, you can't handle Christianity. You should go check out something else. I I am yeah. actually going through this in my there's a there's a there's a gentleman of my acquaintance who I'm recognizing can't go the distance. Won't go the distance. And so I'm like, eh. I'm not going to invest in you, bro. <laughs> I'm it, just a busy guy.
1: It's interesting that you said boring, because yeah. that's that that makes a whole lot of sense to me. Even though I've never actually used the word, because when I first left Catholicism and started going to Protestant gatherings, gatherings. <laughs> 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 <And, laughs> fellowship—I
0: <laughs> don't even know what to call <laughs> it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> fellowship going to pretend. <laughs> when it, we started
2: doing life together. Remember- <laughs> oh, Dan, you are savage. You are savage. Oh.
1: At first, it was a Bravo. relief.
2: It was a relief.
1: At first it was a relief because because it was so easy. It was so relaxed. It was chill. Everybody yeah. was just there to have a good time. Everybody's wearing know? Crocs. Yeah, everybody's wearing Crocs. We're just singing. We're just sitting. You can be on your phone if you want. You can go get some coffee if you want. You know, and and mass you're like sit still. Don't you dare breathe too loud. If you Respond, fart, we will when remember it's time forever. you fall asleep, you mm. might as well like leave.
2: Yeah. I'll just excommunicate myself, guys.
1: (laughs) There were some priests that if your phone went off during mass, he would stop and stare at you until he watched you turn it off.
0: Beautiful. (laughs) Frankly, like I'm here (laughs) going, that's perfect. I like that priest. Anyway. Father Bill, (laughs) wherever you are.
1: But then it got to a point where I was bored and Mm I didn't register that it was bored until I went to North Coast in California. Yeah. I, I kept wanting to go back because I felt like it was more like a classroom setting. Like yeah. it was still relaxed, way more chill yeah. than mass. But I would go and I would actually learn something. Like he would break things down and he would have a board up there and yeah. he would read out of the Bible. And, he'd, you know, I was being fed clean logic.
2: Mm. Even so, it is probably true to say of the communists that never in man's history has a small group of people set out to win a world and achieved more in less time.
0: Moreover, they have always worked through a minority. Mm -hmm. We aren't trying to convert everyone anymore. Now, we've shifted from, yes, we will convert people, however, um, it becomes less important about being consumable, becomes way more important that I sow seed and move. So uh, I sow the seed, I didn't stop and I didn't plow and I didn't do this, I sowed the seed and then I moved and I sowed the seed and then I moved. And the seed was up to the person who, who received the truth And it was up to the Holy Spirit.
2: Are you talking about your personal revelation or are you talking about common evangelicalism? I'm I'm
0: commenting on uh, my personal revelation as it relates to good theology. Got it. Um, There was a time when people tried to mix discipleship with evangelism. And I don't think that works as well as I had thought it would. And that's a personal experience as well. It's also true like the other day I converted some people to Christianity but it was really just the Holy Spirit moving. And the reason why he showed up at my back door right when the COVID panic was high, high watermark, I guess. And, and people who are normally skeptical thought it was legit. The reason why he came around was because I was at a bar with him and sat around talking about taking over the world. Not because I sat around talking about how much Jesus loves him at church. And that's kind of a curious situation to be in. Mm-hmm. He was in the midst of a major crisis and conversed Christianity. And so what I find to be true is taking over the world. How will I know when Christianity has made a disciple of a city? And I've, I've asked this question of a great many thinkers and they never answer. They don't like the question. And they're like, well, what are you into, I guess, when the Christians dominate the arts? And I'm like, I'm not that simple. And if you say, well, when everybody is a Christian, because I got that answer once, if everybody in town is a Christian, then you'll know and I'm like how will I know when everybody in town is to convert to Christianity because they keep leaving or new people move in or people are born I mean like this is super porous how will you know and if it isn't measurable is it, are we just supposed to give up on that
2: and there is the parable of the tree that doesn't bear fruit yeah. is this uh person saved or are they just a late bloomer when you when you run into Catholics and Greek Orthodox who grab who have grabbed a hold of Christ and Christ has grabbed a hold of them, mm-hmm. you can argue about the weeds, but it's really fun to lock shields with them. Oh, amen!
0: It is so delightful because the enemies of Christ hate it. Genuinely frightened by it Yeah, and, and there's nothing like fear in your enemy's eyes.
2: <laughs> Douglas Hyde hit something on the head when he said communism gives people, young people specifically, but idealistic people, dedicated people, something to do. Mm-hmm. And that was a revolutionary concept to me. Like, I, I understood that I wanted something to do. What I understood was that beyond mission trips, there wasn't really anything to do for the kingdom of God. So you could do what my parents did, which was go on in as many short-term mission trips as you could fit into your life, one or two every year. You could do that, yeah. and you could fill up the idle hour with planning for your next trip. What the communists set out to do was take over the world, which is a tall order. And as the book will go on, and you brushed on this, so I feel okay with bringing this in, they set out to make every sphere of influence communist: The arts, the schools, uh, they tried to get rid of the churches because they can't stand a, <laughs> a rival power, yeah. But... So you ask the question, how will you know when you've got a Christian city? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't have a good answer. Here's my answer. My answer is when every facet of society reflects Christ.
0: Yeah. And it's not when every fast, single facet utterly reflects Christ. Where I'm at is like when the simple majority yeah. of the facets in this town reflect Christ.
2: And that's actually what I mean when I say when every facet reflects Christ. I mean that there's a tipping point where I don't need 100% of people in the arts to be Christian. But I'll know that the arts are saved when...
0: Redeemed, at least. Yeah, exactly. And men of faith approach cities to make disciples of them. And I fancy myself a man of faith.
2: Anyway, so my point is he gives people something to do. There's a mission. And that mission is compelling enough that it requires them to get up and serve in their mission at their work. And then... When they get done with their work, they have a meeting on how it went. They plan for the next day. He goes home, he grabs a quick meal, and then he's off to tutor or that, to go to the rally or whatever. And that's the
0: thing that's profound about the day in the life of a communist. He's talking about he lives, eats, drinks, breathes communism. Communism and Christianity, the Christians do not do that. However,. There's there's the automatic ex- I'm gonna say excuse, but I, I'm not I'm not suggesting that you're making excuses. I think you're you should. a poignant observation on the importance of family and generational transfer and how that does need to be a very high priority. Also true that Christians use that as an excuse. For disengaging from the culture.
2: Wholeheartedly agree. Oh, from, yes. From, oh, yes. From
0: disengaging from their dreams, mm-hmm. from disengaging from their desires, God given. Mm-hmm. And perhaps most importantly, they use it as an excuse to refuse to defend the innocent.
2: Yeah. Well, I've got a family. I can't I can't I, I take can't, a stand for what's right. No, I I have got It's and, too risky. and I can't I can't protect
0: that guy over there who is taking the stand because I've got a family.
2: I've got a job. Yeah. I've, got I, a,
0: I've heard people actually whose family like grew up and left, but now it's their retirement that they have to be careful about. Their pension. And I'm like, you're literally saying money. mm mm-hmm.
2: Mhm. Without making too much of a straw man. I mean, I agree, but yeah, I I can see that tendency in me. And there are times when I question, did I not stand up because it was the correct thing to do for my family or did I not stand up because I'm a coward?
0: As opposed to like, hey, I can't give you all my money and then live on pennies. Right. Which is mentioned in the life of a communist. In order to fund our endeavors, because I need to build generational transfer, etc. Like I'm, I'm all about building dynasties because that's what the communists don't want me to do. So let's do that for sure. <laughs> and also, in the next breath, yeah, your dynasty is, you know, especially in the last year, we've seen several dynasties get stripped of their fortunes and transferred to megacorps mm-hmm. like Amazon or Google and so on. When you had that, you know, four generation mom and pop store or whatever the case may be, and this is straight up. You know, crony capitalism with a heavy dose of Marxism involved, and we're looking at a bunch of. I personally was was interfacing with these companies as they were going down, telling me that they were afraid that the Marxist mob would come for them, and I'm like, "This is Yakima. (laughs) This is Yakima. Mm -hmm. There ain't this ain't Kenosha, bro."
2: Christ did address that. I mean, you make an extremely valuable point, and I don't want to move past that, but Christ made the point of, he tells a parable of the rich man who builds a barn to store all of his wealth. And he says, okay, I can take it easy now. Soul, you have everything that you need. He says, you utter fool, your life is going to be taken, is demanded from you this very night. What are you going to do with everything you have? And so the Christian mindset ought to be, and this is a really hard parallel to hold, like I've never been able to achieve this, but I'm, I'm getting there, which is I need to build for 500 years, and my life is a vapor and I could be gone tomorrow. Yeah. And you have to hold both of those at the same time. But You're, it's fun. Yeah, it is. That. I agree. I agree. Yeah. To the extent that I've been able to get there, it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's
0: a game. It's it's
2: you can wager it all you can wager your you whole go. fortune there on you a single you would. game of pitch and toss. You,
0: I knew it.
1: It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. That was so overused in Catholicism. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: And there was the extreme of like my saint mother who literally prayed as a young adult before she was ever even married. My mom was married at 18. She would pray that God would make her like St. Francis and make her poor her Mm -hmm. entire life so that she could be a good Catholic, so that she'd be a saint, so that she could go to heaven, so she could be the ideal, Mm -hmm. you know, the ultimate
0: saint please christ perfect
1: yeah yeah yeah. she wanted to be saint yeah that's 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 most catholics that's what we're taught as kids we strive to be saints
0: yeah and it's a it's it's a noble ambition
1: Mm -hmm. so there was the extreme of you know i want to be poor my entire life in order to be pleasing to christ or you know i'm gonna make all this money so that i can be secure what you said you know Oh, I'm good now. I, you know, making, <laughs> making my fortune. Here it is. I'm good now. We can fight for Christ now, you know? So I like hearing about the balance because that's not something that's said often. It's either one extreme or the other.
0: Yeah, it really is. And and, and it's, it's frustrating for me to hear, I'm, I'm sorry, I've been listening to sermons about that mm-hmm. um, since the 90s. Yeah. not since the 80s i don't know why but like in the 90s 90s. yeah in the group that i was with okay that i was running with they started to examine the issue of generational transfer as it relates to wealth Mm -hmm. and you can't sit there and say i'm going to give my kids a bunch of money so they don't go to heaven if you're really worried about their relationship with christ and that's what you're trying to build in them yeah so you can't necessarily do that if you're also saying I'm going to um, transfer wealth to them because we see now that in the transfer of wealth, you build dynasties and that that glorifies God if you choose that it does, mm-hmm. because there is no sin in it. Right. And so as we stand before the throne room of God and he says, did you steward what I gave you? It isn't just some weird metaphorical stuff. Okay, so, <laughs> right. so here, here we are and, and it, dealing with the eye of the camel question, because we are talking about communism here. We are talking about Marxism. Mm-hmm. They hate generational transfer. They hate it. Yeah. <laughs> they hate the idea of a dynasty. They hate the idea of not just that wealth would transfer, but the capacity to accrue wealth would mm-hmm. transfer. Mm-hmm. As, you know, the Jew hatred, the anti-Semitism.
1: Yeah, it was all about death.
0: Yeah. They wanted to, They had to exterminate it. But but one of the things that I found to be interesting as we would cross-examine that is, is those extremes where they would be like, we don't measure you by how much money you make however (laughs) we measure you by how much money you make (laughs) and there was like well you know i'm going to go work with this person as my mentor okay why well they're very successful how are they successful well they have a lot of money
3: Hmm.
0: okay so again we kind of kind of would circle back this is in the 90s some of these people were like once i get that money Then I will do that. But then it also was kind of curious because once they achieve that, they just bumped it up.
2: It wasn't enough.
0: You know, back in the nineties, I learned this question. It was how much is enough? Because if you come along, you're like, well, you know, this is what I do. This is my gimmick. And you know, this is what I'm working on. But once I, once I make it, then I'm going to actually engage the culture. And I'm like, how much is enough? Because I don't believe you. Because if you're not engaging the culture now, you're not going to engage the culture. Mm-hmm. later on and i know a great many people who don't want to be involved well, they wanted to be involved with jared when they were poor <laughs> but when they had the opportunity to make it big jared was too spicy
1: yeah
0: and i always it didn't
1: work was for pathetic. them anymore yeah well it was pathetic
0: because i'm like look i still like you i don't have a lower opinion of you because you made these choices actually i think you have a great deal to offer still because you understand systems or you understand like you've disciplined yourself
1: you have more to offer now yeah
0: you have more to offer now but you're also a coward.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and it really comes circles back around to theology, even though, even though that's not necessarily what most people would understand. They would think Jared just likes making trouble because he's, he's a provocateur.
2: You don't only make trouble because you're a provocateur. You also are willing to call people out on their bullshit and people don't like that.
1: You don't make trouble because you're a provocateur, but you do enjoy... They do enjoy the it. ...the process of <laughs> causing well, trouble. Yeah, and, and, and that's really
0: where, the, <laughs> where, where perhaps I should grow, uh, because it is true. I do enjoy it. When, when evil men, or at least when men who, who hate Christ and hate sound theology, when they get irritated at me because I will not shut up when they try to destroy my reputation or whatever
1: Uh that's understandable.
0: That brings me a special sort of joy that I communicate on a regular basis. Again, in order to get the picture clear, it must be noted that human material on which communists work is not something different from that which is at the disposal of others. The majority of communists are first generation. This means that others, frequently Christians and Christian missionaries, had them in their hands long before they went to the communist party. Page 14 one can and must for honesty's sake be more specific often these people are identical with those who are available to christians to instruct and use in the sense that a disturbingly high proportion of them particularly those who form the hard core of the communist party were once catholics in other words the communists train and use successfully people with whom christians have failed I am not just theorizing. Any analysis of the origins of the leadership of the Communist Party, say Britain, USA, Australia, etc., will provide ample evidence of the Communists' ability to attract to their ranks lapsed and fallen away Catholics. Hmm. I make this point, which may seem a brutal one, for two reasons. First, it is necessary to appreciate that there is no basis for the belief that communists have some special sort of human material on which to work. The people with whom they frequently have had their greatest successes are our own failures. Secondly, we must in humility accept that amongst the Christians and Catholics in particular who go to the communists are many who find in communism what they had hoped without success to find among the Christians. The onus is, therefore, on us to find the answer to this problem.
2: So he's right and he's wrong. He's got some good points here. And we talk about gathering the disenfranchised. We, gather, we talk about the, the the worthless men of Ziklag, the guys with nothing to lose. And you sort of just gather them around, you train them up, and then you give them a target. You give them a job to do. You, you, so you could say, Black Ops, this is what you're going to do. This is your task. This is Do it. And in life, if you if you come across people who have a purpose and they say join us in our thing, that's intoxicating. That's wildly exciting and he says they find in communism what they failed to find in Catholicism. I agree with that and this is something where this this is right to the same point as why men hate going to church. Men leave the church because they don't have anything to do. the church doesn't ask anything yes. of them and the, it doesn't require anything of them. And I talked to my brother who doesn't attend church, and I said, what would happen if, you ha- if, if the understanding at church was bring a gun and be practiced in how to use it because you're going to need it? You couldn't keep him away from the church because suddenly he would have a vital and important role to fulfill. And the church does not offer enough for men to do. And so I speak of men, but it, 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 it applies to women as well because women go where men want to be. Like women – anyway, it's a whole thing. So I agree with Douglas Hyde. However, there is a moral portion which Douglas Hyde is overlooking. He says our greatest success were Catholicism failures. Okay, there's a certain point where that's true, but but the Catholic failures who became great in the Communist Party, like Nikita Khrushchev, as a for instance, succeeded because communism does not have any sort of a moral bound whatsoever. In fact it pushes for immorality it actually thrives in immorality because it's a system set up against christ and so this is a little bit of a failure on his part to be completely honest because nikita khrushchev was failed by by catholicism he was raised in catholicism apparently he had an amazing memory for scripture verses he would earn lots and lots of candy by repeating them back and yet he could say in 1967 i think Bombastically, we have sent our cosmonauts to space and God is not there. Hmm. And so I, I have a slight problem with him saying that Catholicism's greatest failures, but his point is still valid. If men have nothing to do, they're going to go elsewhere. I completely affirm that.
1: Especially with Catholicism, because Catholicism is incredibly effeminate.
2: Yeah. They say that if you
0: make mean little demands upon people, you will get mean little responses. Which is all you deserve, but if you make big demands on them, you will get a heroic response. They prove in practice that this is so, over and over again. They work on the assumption that if you call for big sacrifices, people will respond to this and moreover, the relatively smaller sacrifices will come quite naturally. Now. Let's talk about that. If you're running, say, a small group, and you start making big sacrifice questions, asking big sacrifices, you'll lose two people at least. Sometimes three. But everyone else sticks around and actually does it. There is also the question of mission critical, and this is something that I need to talk about. People will ask for big demands on people, and then they'll look at the demand and they won't see how it helps the end goal which is what they signed up for so if your end goal is making disciples of the nations you have to link that sacrifice to making disciples of the nations and if you say hey we're going to do a thing that doesn't actually move us closer to any specific goal or to any facet or to taking dominion or to changing the world or to regenerating the culture whatever the case may be If you do not do that, then your big demand, your big ask will probably fall on deaf ears, as it should.
2: What I found to be useful was to give an overarching theme and say, okay, this is what I believe. As a Christian, this is what the Great Commission says. My job is to create Disciples of the Nations. I have done this in every small group that I've led, and I learned this from watching you do this with the Black Ops and be pretty frank and upfront we were at the Glenwood Square and you were talking to Black Ops and this struck me as very interesting. They were seated in a circle and you went around the circle and said to each of them, Ben Record, you must accept Christ. You must be about Christ. You must commit your life to Christ. Tori Gresham, you have to get this into your head. This is about Christ. And you went around the room and told each of them, even to your cousins who have gone to church with you, even to Dylan, the son of a pastor, things like that. And I loved how countercultural that was it's countercultural outside of christianity to to just tell people to accept christ that's weird and it's countercultural inside of evangelicalism you know you're supposed to slip it in you're supposed to be their friend first you're supposed to share christ with them through your actions and then they should ask you why you are a christian and then you can tell them and so i love that that was just absolutely you know Bold-faced, completely, all cards on the table, this is what it's about. That was very encouraging to see. I remember Ben's face as you told him, and he sort of nodded seriously, and I talked with him later, and he said that Black Ops for him was a solidifying of what he already knew, but up until that point, it was kind of squishy, and this is kind of the thing that I get the sense is maybe not talked about enough in Catholicism of, you must grab a hold of Christ. You have to grab a hold of Christ. Do mass, be a part of your parish. Yes, absolutely. You have to grab a hold of Christ or this is all in vain. And that's super solid. So I employ that into my small groups and I say, I am a Christian. This is a Christian activity and you're going to hear about Jesus. If you don't want to hear about Jesus, don't come to the small group. And so you do fit it into we're discipling the nations. But then you also say, this is a direct need. This is what needs to happen right now. This will usually occur over six or eight weeks, but I'll say, this is part of an overarching scheme. We want to take over the world here. This is a thing that needs to be done right now. This is the the small and practical. And what you get is you get the high-end thinkers who are like, yeah, I want to change the world. You also get the, I want to have some fun, and this is what my friends are doing. And then you get the, okay, I don't know what to do, but I can do this. And the communists did this. This is something that you ripped kind of wholeheartedly from the communists which is this is a campaign this is the evil that we are fighting this is the thing that we're doing today later on he talks about the dangers of succeeding too well (laughs) and this is one reason where our world views conflict with the communists because they want to keep evil around and to always fight it they need to always have someone they're fighting and christianity is like great we are looking for the time when all enemies are bowed down and prostrate before christ That's that's our goal.
0: And that's something that we've definitely seen uh, in American culture recently. The Marxists have been deploying this for years. Anyone who disagrees with them is a fascist, is a racist. It's gotten to the point where even people who should know better are beginning to, you know, they're trying to manage the accusation, Uh if they're honest with themselves, by conceding things that are anti-truths. And then they're like, okay, so now we have some common ground as if that's going to work. You don't do that. Like if, if actual fascism has taught you anything, don't give anything to Hitler. The entire point was that he was never, ever, ever satisfied. Specifically when he was invading Austria. It was an understood tactic that they would make outrageous demands just so that they couldn't be met as a pretext for attacking that was a a very curious thing that we would see deliberately and and, in a calculated fashion deployed by Marxism. And one of the things that I found to be true in Christianity is there seemed to be an expectation, perhaps not with the Catholics, was definitely true. And this has resonated with the guys who grew up in, in evangelicalism, where I would say there's an attitude that you will take the Jesus pill and everything will magically be better. Right. And with the Catholics they're like, and now you go to confession to confess that you're not better yet and i'm like mm-hmm. that sounds good and i i got to be around people that were wrestling through that that were saved in the jesus movement then i found out you know that guy over there was magically cured of his heroin addiction that guy was magically cured of his lsd addiction and he still had to go get dentures but he was he's doing pretty well now i wasn't i'm still addicted what gives And working out their salvation in fear and trembling basically turned into confessionals where they would go and they confessed to their pastor effectively with little meetings and they would get coaching and they would do things like that. It wasn't sitting in a booth with a priest, you know, or at least a priest that was wearing the correct clothing, but it was essentially confessional work. And you see this in the scripture where you're confessing your sins one to another continually. The last thing that I need to say about this chapter is the first thing that you need from a leader is dedication
2: that's an interesting take and that's absolutely true and I missed that because I was thinking of the dedication of followers but a leader needs to be dedicated and that's something that we cover in small group on small groups that the leader has to embrace the leader gets the worst deal yes they don't get the exalted position they get the most work yeah and the people will only be dedicated to the extent that the leader is dedicated
0: yeah everyone will be slightly less dedicated than you are
2: by and large Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm
0: And that is the end of our dissection. And thank you very much for coming. And we can hit the stop button.
2: Thank
1: you. Try that again.